listen, if finding a job soon is one of your goals for this year, then welcome to this episode of the Job Hunting Podcast. In this episode, I will share with you tips to help you start thinking more about your audience. And who is your audience? It's the recruiter, your professional network, the job interview panel, and what you as a skilled and experienced professional needs to know about them to provide them with what they need. Let's talk about that. I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. This episode of the Job Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Talent Predicts. Talent Predicts is a state-of-the-art strengths assessment test that I personally love, that all my private clients and all my group coaching clients have used to identify their sweet spots or career DNA, their top talents, their career drivers, and their personal values. You see, when you know what your talents are, when you learn about your strengths and you have a comprehensive report describing them to you, describing when you're at your best, the areas you can trip up at work if you're not careful, it is so much easier than to talk about your strengths and your talents at job interviews, for example. And also so much easier to focus on applying for jobs that are aligned with your career drivers and your values. And you don't have to be a private client of mine to access this report from Talent Predicts. You can access it now on my website. If you go to my services page on my website, you will find it in bright yellow, which is my favorite color, and it will say, find my talents, strengths assessment. For everyone listening to this episode, I have a special $20 promotional code for you, bringing the price down to $77. That's Australian dollars at the time of this recording. So if you're listening to it in the future, please go online and see how much it costs. That is equivalent to about $52 US at the moment and about £42 in the UK. So you will receive an amazing report that will help you in so many ways during your recruitment process. And if you are an employer and you want to use it for assessment, to improve your recruitment process, your team performance, please reach out to me. There's a link to my email in the episode show notes. In fact, there's a link to everything in the episode show notes. So always check it out. You know, the discount code, the link to my website, it's all in the episode show notes. I have been working with companies in getting excellent results for them and the feedback has been amazing and I can share some of that with you if you are an employer and you want to use Talent Predicts in your workplace. So contact details, website address, discount code are on the episode show notes and on the podcast blog as well. All right, let's talk about job hunting in the corporate world and it being so competitive and a complex game. So if you want to take it seriously, it's important for you to spend time considering the other side of the table, right? Your audience, your listeners, the people you're talking to. 
I find that a lot of people that reach out to me for consultations and for private coaching and group coaching and people that send me questions when I invite them to ask questions for episode Q&As, for example, they really focus on themselves. And it's easy to do that because you have to review your resume. You have to consider what's going on in your career. But when you're out in the job market promoting yourself, then you really need to play this ping pong of paying attention to who you're talking to. And look, you can spend hours and hours looking for jobs on job boards and applying without a clear strategy, a clear narrative, not paying attention to your audience, updating your resume, updating your LinkedIn, and still feel disheartened by the job search results. And I find that one of the things I want you to pay attention to when that happens to you is this, are you paying attention to your audience? Are you talking to them, not at them? So yes, every week, every week I'm contacted on discovery calls by potential clients hoping to understand how private coaching works because I'm, I'm a private coach and I have group coaching programs as well, as you probably already know if you've been listening for a while, because they have been searching for quite some time and then they find that they're not getting results, so they want to work with a coach. And as I am sort of diagnosing them, I suppose, and what the issues could be. This is one of the things that I have identified. So I'm going to provide you with tips. You know, this is kind of broad brush tips. Of course, when I'm working with clients, I dive deeper and we help to identify specific issues and tailor their pitch and their narrative and their actions to address specific things that are specific to their situation. But Broadly, I can tell you what I think are the things you need to pay attention now that will probably make you more aware and educate you on what you need to pay attention to. So ideally, you'd like to find a sweet spot. I call it the sweet spot. I made that up. I may, I may have heard it somewhere. I don't think, sometimes I think, where do I come up with these ideas? And I actually can't remember. I'll tell you how it happens. I'm just lying in bed or you know, doing a walk or something. And then I think of something like, oh, there's this sweet spot. And then I type or I, I record a little sort of recording on my phone or I type it and I send it to myself by email. And then I end up with a gazillion notes <laughs> and I add them to OneNote. And this is what I had in OneNote yesterday that I kind of workshopped by myself based on sort of the experience that I have working with clients. The sweet spot for me that I think will help you reach out to your audience and make a connection with them is this. One, love. Two, you need to make money. And three, what your potential future employers want. So that's what I wrote. <laughs> and I think, you know, I want to expand each one of those ideas with you. You know, the idea of loving what you do and letting it show when you're talking to your audience. The idea that whatever you decide to focus on in your career, that you need to make money from something, be it the thing you love or be it something else, but you need to pay the bills and be pragmatic about it. And thirdly, when you're talking to other people, they are your future employers or they are the agents that will connect you with future employers. And you want to know what they want. It's not just about knowing what you want and what you do and what you can do. It's about knowing what they want 
and if what you're saying is resonating with them. All right, so why is it important to love what you do for work? Well, first, let's talk about the obvious, right? And I know we're going go to go very quickly on the obvious because I know I'm talking to an intelligent audience that have thought about this before. But frankly, sometimes we know all these things in theory and we never apply them to ourselves. In fact, we sometimes advise other people and mentor other people on doing the right thing and we don't do them. <laughs> so I want to address the reasons why loving what you do makes sense from a practical perspective as well, not just the obvious perspective. First of all, job satisfaction. Loving what you do can lead to greater job satisfaction. Of course, that's obvious. There's a sense of fulfillment that you have in the work you do there. Of course, a lot of research and studies that show that individuals who viewed their work as a calling were more likely to report higher job satisfaction and commitment, as well as higher levels of work-related well-being, and they are less likely of experiencing burnout. So Talent Predicts has provided us with a white paper I will make that available on the episode show notes, by the way, and it has an amazing sort of research done by Talent Predicts, but also amazing list of references that you can use if you're an HR professional and you want to convince your workplace on using strengths assessment, for example, or building that HR strategy, that people strategy, that focus on job satisfaction. Maybe some of this research will really resonate with you. So I really like this paper that I read yesterday, and I'd love to share it with you. I have a link to it in the episode show notes as well. And practical and efficient career planning that focus on job satisfaction work, because when you enjoy your work, you're more likely to feel motivated and engaged, and then it leads to higher productivity and better performance, which leads to you having a better, more sustainable long-term career progression, be it progression or advancement or sustainability. I use those terms. They mean different things to me. You know, some clients want career advancement, so they want to progress to senior levels. Some clients want career progression or career change. And it means that they want to become either experts in their fields or they want to do some sort of tangential move and move to a different area of the matrix of the corporate world. And some clients are focused on career sustainability. They just want to have the job they have over and over again, which is perfectly fine. It requires a recency of the knowledge to be able to do that work. And there's a lot of research that shows that to do the job that you have now, five years from now, you will need to reskill <laughs> because things are moving so fast in terms of technology and ways of working, like remote and hybrid, for example. And yeah, so all of these things as a career coach, I pay attention to that. So job satisfaction. And I think this is important. Let's say you're, you know, you've always wanted to change your career, but you haven't really put any effort into it because you think it's going to be too much work. Think about it in this way. It's going to be too much work regardless, everybody. Let me tell you, <laughs> if you want to stay in the same job forever and ever, it will still require you to reskill. So reskilling to be relevant and to be competitive in your job market right now, maybe just, you know, a teeny bitty easier than 
career changing possibly just think about that depending on your sector your industry your profession it could be much harder so think about that and make the best plan that makes you satisfied and think about it in the long term as well it's not satisfied tomorrow think about job satisfaction as a continuum in your career a study that is also linked to strengths understanding which is the reason why i love doing the talent predicts strengths assessment with my clients is one done by Haza and Raj. This study found that employees who were able to apply their signature strengths, the strengths that they enjoy the most at work, reported higher levels of work engagement, job satisfaction, well-being, and lower levels of stress. So that is a great article. I'll have a link to it in the episode show notes. Working in sync with your strengths enable you to grow them from good to great. And that's the signature coaching that I do is a strengths-based coaching where I want you to focus on your strengths, especially if you're in transition. So when I'm working with clients that are between jobs, that's called frictional unemployment, by the way. So you lost your job or you left your job and you are between jobs. You're looking at finding another job soon. You still in the job market looking to find another job. The best thing that you can do is to focus on your strengths, making them better and better, making sure that your reputation stands for those strengths that you already have, rather than trying to elevate other talents that you haven't worked on in a long time or you haven't really enabled during previous years in your career. We should do that when you actually have a job. I have actually a couple of good examples of clients of mine that worked with me when they were between jobs and we focus on their strengths, found a job that used those strengths, as Hazard and Hutch have pointed out. And now that they financially secured in a job that they love doing, that they can do and hit the ground running doing those jobs, then it's a time for professional development that will enable them the career advancement. These are ambitious professionals and it will enable them the transition into more senior roles and we might need to elevate some of the other talents that are required to achieve those other roles. So in that case, for that reason, they're working with me more on the long term. So clients can work with me on a retainer and we've been working for a while whilst they have jobs. So that's a very interesting outcome of my <laughs> career coaching that I wasn't expecting to continue working with clients once they had jobs. And I find that very satisfying and that there's a trust in that relationship there that I really so grateful for and so proud of as well. So when you love what you do, you're more likely to invest time and energy into developing your skills and your knowledge. Other people can see that and will be able to recognize you as being passionate about that specific skill. Eventually, you will be considered an expert in specific areas of knowledge, and this can lead to personal and professional growth, as well as promotions and career progressions and so on. You know, sometimes people think that, let's say, I use this example of cybersecurity a lot because it's such a, a new area. Let's use another example, ESG. Same concept apply. If you've been listening to the podcast, you will know that I often use cybersecurity as an example of something that people feel that like they really want to know more about, but they don't feel like they're experts or they don't write about it on LinkedIn and so on. Let's use the example of ESG, another very common trendy 
up-and-coming area that a lot of people want to learn more about, work with, but they may not have the experience yet. Even though they're highly skilled, experienced professionals with a lot of baggage and a lot of years of corporate experience under their belt, maybe they're new to ESG and that's completely fine, right? If you are somebody who is excited about ESG, then start developing an understanding about it. Know that there are people that have graduated on ESG courses and masters and PhDs. They are not your competition. You will probably be a communicator or an agent or somebody that can enable those highly expert professionals, liaise in a more enterprise-wide way with the rest of the organization. But go do your executive training on ESG, read your books, read the articles, make sure that you're on top of this. If this is an area of growth in your sector, in the company you work with, or if you can foresee, have the foresight to understand that ESG will be bigger and bigger in the profession where you're you know, focusing on. So what sort of things you can do? You can post, let's say, the top three articles I read recently about ESG for anyone else who is also interested in this topic. These are the three articles and this is why they're good. You know, summarize them a little bit in a LinkedIn post. You don't have to be the ESG expert to write that you like ESG. You can be somebody who is passionate about ESG. So this is, I think, really interesting in developing your expertise, you know, being practical and efficient in providing that knowledge to your network, to the audience that's seeking out, let's say, a finance professional that is interested in ESG. That's how you develop that language to speak to them, even when you're not face-to-face -face with them. I use the example of LinkedIn. But the effort needs to come from you. And the development of that expertise comes with you engaging in it in a very Malcolm Gladwell way, you know, knowing that it may take you a few years to get there, but little by little you will build the steps that will make you somebody that can very confidently talk about ESG, cybersecurity, or in my case, career coaching. <laughs> I wasn't born a career coach and I changed careers to become a career coach. So that comes with time and with thoughtful planning and researching and reading about it and then not feeling afraid to use it and to start with a minimal viable pitch and a narrative talking to people and eventually feeling more and more confident about it. So loving what you do can also improve and help you better manage your mental health. And I think for many people out there, this is really important. Sometimes people accept, you know, a job way too soon, much sooner than they need to, knowing that, that it will give them little job satisfaction only to then a few months later start struggling with their mental health. And I usually record these episodes, I usually assume a privileged audience, I have to admit. People that can access a safety net if they need to, that are not, you should never be embarrassed of accessing a safety net if you need to. People that have savings, people that can, you know, have been made redundant and have a salary package that they can count on for a few months. And I want you to separate the fight and flight mode that you may be feeling if you're currently unemployed from the actual resources that you have available to you. You know, I had a lovely conversation with one of my clients last week who for 
Oh, this is so great because it's actually linked to Talent Predicts. So I'm glad I thought about this example. So for months, he's been telling me that job security and finding a job very quickly of the utmost relevance to him, really important, crucial. And he kept banging on that note with me. And I was kind of devil's advocate, kind of really asking him, is that really how you feel? Because I didn't see that happening. I felt, I had an instinct that it was fight and flight. And that went on for months. And then last week he said, you know, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I am financially okay. I will be okay. I need to wake up in the morning and tell myself that, that I am actually going to be okay. There is really no big issues that I'm facing at the moment financially. Why am I in such a hurry? And I'm like, I'm so glad that you can finally see what I see. Because <laughs> I was starting to doubt myself and I'm pretty good at, you know, figuring these things out. And it was lovely for him to understand. And he said, and what showed him this was the fact that he did the talent predicts assessment and it showed in his career driver that security was the last item in his career driving chart. So there's a chart with lots of definitions of what your career driver can be and job security wasn't one of them. And I'm like, this is really interesting. It's very rare that I'm so surprised when I see a chart like this and yours is like what we've been talking about doesn't really match what I'm seeing here. And for the homework for that fortnight was for him to consider that. And he came back and he said, yep, that chart is right. So that was really lovely to workshop that with him after he received his Talent Predicts report. All right, other things that, you know, loving what you do can help lead to better relationships with your colleagues and clients. If you're loving what you're doing, you're much more motivated to collaborate with others, to communicate well with them. And that builds a stronger relationship, which guess what? It's your professional network. And when you start developing those stronger relationships at work and you leave that job and you go somewhere else, the network should stand because it was created in that sort of strong foundation of collaboration, of communication. So that strong network will be instrumental in supporting you during your career. And these people, they are your audience. In the future, you won't be working alongside them anymore. You will be presenting to them if they are somebody that can advocate for you for a job, if they can introduce you to somebody. So that's your audience. And being in touch with them and nurturing those relationships over time really help. Work-life balance, you know, the importance of enjoying your job, you know, and what that means in terms of work-life balance, which is something that most of us are, are seeking more and more, especially post-pandemic. And that will all, you know, be important to achieve that career success that you're seeking, that passion for your work can lead to that career success. Now, we spoke too much about love. <laughs> Let's talk about something completely different, but important too, which is the importance of financial stability in the pursuit of your career goals. My take on this topic of financial stability and the importance of it is heavily influenced by Elizabeth Gilbert's ethos and rationale on impoverished artists. She has written a book about this and she has a podcast series where she interviews artists that are starting up, up and coming and gives them advice. And Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the writer for Eat, Pray, Love, that's her most famous book, 
she doesn't believe in the idea of a struggling artist because she feels, I'm going to, I hope I do this right. She feels that it's romantic and it glorifies art and that suffering. And she doesn't believe that we need to do that anymore. Instead, she thinks that artists should be more practical, I would say, more pragmatic, but also more joyful about their creativity in a way that, you know, allows them to pursue their creativity, potentially not for financial gain. She knows that not everybody will make a living out of their art and that's okay. But the, the importance of being well financially and finding financial stability in whatever form, for example, by having a job and having a side hustle is really important. I have worked with clients that have engaged in something like that, not because they were artists, but because they loved something else that set outside their corporate career and they weren't ready yet to give up their corporate career to invest 100% of their time, energy and finances into that enterprise, whatever that may be. And I have clients that have actively sought my career coaching advice because I've done it, you know, because I've done career coaching and I've kind of bootstrapped my little business over the years and then launched it when I felt that it was time, that I felt it was the time was right. Some of them I don't think will ever do that. I think that they like to have their corporate career and that funding that they get from their jobs funds their side hustle. I'm even afraid of calling it a side hustle because for them, it's such a big passion, what they love to do. And, you know, it's very varied. I have had artists that are professional actors on the side. So they, from time to time, will do a part in a TV series or something. I have clients that have property development that they do, not just fixer-upper type of stuff, like real property development and e-commerce and product development that they do. And it's amazing. It's really so inspiring. I love working with that sort of project with clients. My belief about career advancement and career change and career progression and having those entrepreneurial pursuits outside work are very similar to that concept from Elizabeth Gilbert. And I have read her book and watched that podcast series. I will put a link in, in the episode show notes. I forget the name now because I loved the concept and I could see a line, you know, linking a correlation between the, the two issues. So for example, the idea of changing careers, which I mentioned before, is often tied to this belief that it will require suffering and sacrifice, that the professional will be impoverished in order to make the career transition. And it scares people away from potentially a great career path that they would have loved to do. In my program, The Job Hunting Made Simple, in module two, we actually discuss different approaches to career changes, different strategies to career changes that take into account people's strengths to enable a career transition that's less risky and it's more satisfactory for them. So we assess different types of career changes and different ways of going about it. And yes, and I think that can be done in a much more positive and healthy way. In fact, even in my short course, which on demand, you can just click and buy, it's called Reset Your Career. 
the first masterclass in that short course is about critical advice in this issue of transitioning. And it's dedicated to this idea of ensuring that stability that you seek as you're trying to identify what the right path for you is. So even inside Research Your Career, which is a very financially low risk program for you to do, you will find great ideas there as well. Now, the third and last thing I want to discuss in this episode with you is this idea that job seekers need to focus on what employers want. That is the sort of triangulation and the validation of that sweet spot where you can really speak to an audience and resonate with them, you know, that they can see your love and your passion for what you do, that you are doing something that is going to support you and sustain you. And it's aligned with your personal needs as well as your professional needs. And then that you are talking to them and not at them. You're focusing on what they need in order to fill that role, in order to bring on board somebody that will get the job done. So job seekers need to focus more in what the employer wants. That That's it's sort of in my notes here, I'm reading out loud to you. And that is really important. And I find that many times when I'm doing consultations and we're prepping for job interviews and I ask, you know, a client that know very little because they booked a consultation with me and I say, you know, tell me about why you want this job or tell me about why this job or why our organization has an interview question to be expected in most interviews. They focus just on their experience, their own work experience. But the truth is, it's actually easier to do a job interview where you focus only on your career background and summarize it and share it with the interviewer. It is much harder to weave that information that you bring from your career and your experiences into this golden thread that links what you have with what they want because it's all about their interests. What is it that you can do for them? It requires a level of emotional intelligence, but even if you don't have that, which is completely fine, <laughs> I work with clients with different levels of emotional intelligence. The most important thing you need to do, and everybody can do it, is market research. Research the organization, find out who you'll be talking to if possible. You know, it's really important to know who you're going to be speaking to if it's a job interview. And it really does, you know, to build that thread between your experience and what they need, it needs that research. It needs insight. It needs also thinking on the spot. So not coming so overly prepared that you don't watch out for the cues in the environment that you're talking to. It requires you to be relaxed and creative during the job interview, which is not in flight and flight mode, which narrows your cognitive ability. And you can't think on the spot when you're in fight and flight mode. It's very hard. So understanding the employer needs and their priorities can help a job seeker tailor their application and showcase what you have done in the past and what you have done in the past most relevant to that specific job. It's different from finding the things that you have done in the past that you're most proud of, that, you know, sort of are more interesting. There are 
a few things that are super interesting that are not relevant to this position that you're applying for that the employer or the recruiter have in mind. So you need to sort of let it go, frankly. <laughs> and I know it's sad because sometimes you really want to talk about something that's really exciting for you and you're proud of, but it doesn't resonate with that specific audience. So it's important to remember that and remember that job search is a process and it's not just about you and meeting your needs as somebody who needs a new job, but also finding a person that can do the job for that company. And look, having said all that, if there is work to be done for you in any of the three areas that we have discussed above, then it's time to get on to it. You need to sort of maybe reconsider your narrative, your pitch, how you're coming across in terms of your dedication and love for your profession. Because, you know, when you think about your competition, you can only think about them. You hardly ever know who they are. If there is somebody there who is really excited and passionate and really wants that job because it resonates with their purpose, with their talents and their career drivers, and you are applying because you need a job, but you don't have any emotional attachment to that role, it doesn't resonate with you in any way, guess what will happen in the interview, right? So it's really when you have the three in alignment that you will find it easier to convert in all those bottlenecks during the recruitment and selection process. And what I call bottlenecks is, you know, going from job application to phone screen, going to phone screen to first interview, first interview, second interview. So those are all the little bottlenecks. In fact, it's really lovely when somebody books a consultation with me after being on a podcast listener for a while. Hello there, if you know who you are, <laughs> if you're listening, I'm so grateful that you've reached out to me and booked consultations, you know, at least a few every week. And that's really exciting. I love when they use my jargons. I love when somebody books a consultation with me and they say, oh, Renata, you know, I'm talking to you because I'm worried about my bottlenecks and my conversion rates. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you are, in fact, listening to the podcast, which is fantastic. So yeah, so those are the bottlenecks that you need to focus on. And the audience will change for each one of them. Really, it really will. If it's a small organization, maybe not. But if the organization is medium-sized, that will be people that will look at your application in the beginning. And then the second phase and second bottleneck will be with somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. So there will be all sort of the different audiences for you to consider. And that's why my team and I put together, you know, put a lot of effort into covering all of these things inside our offerings, you know, and if you don't know what I do, just go to my website and see all the different services that I have. And the Talent Predicts Report is such a great small investment to make that such amazing outcomes for you, possibly the best thing you can do right now to start your career planning. So to learn more about the Talent Predicts, find my talent service and all my coaching services, please go to my website, as I said before, and there will be links to everything in the episode show notes. I hope you found this episode helpful. And if you want to learn more about the importance of pausing and planning for your job search strategy, maybe you want to listen to a few more episodes of the Job Hunting Podcast. I have a few recommendations here for you. 
episode 163, how to job search in 2023, an expert's view on the job market and recruitment trends. That's my conversation with Jeff Slade. It's always good to listen to what an actual recruiter is recommending and has forecasted for the year. So if you're still listening to this in 2023, that might be a good episode to listen to. And another one that I think is really great is 174, your job search not going well. Here is why and how to fix it. So if you're listening to this episode because you're stuck in a bottleneck (laughs) of the selection process, listen to 174. And if you like this episode and you like what you see here, remember to follow and subscribe to the Job Hunting Podcast. Shout out to everyone who has been subscribing recently. I've been more overt about inviting you to subscribe and it's working. <laughs> so It's wonderful to see every time I look at the charts, the, the podcast is growing so much this year. So thank you. Thank you so much. You can also sign up to my weekly newsletter. It's a newsletter that I send once a week to job hunters and career enthusiasts. So even if you're not job hunting, it might be a good idea to get it because I share important articles and important news that are, you know, for people that have corporate careers worldwide. It doesn't really matter where you are. And I will send you the latest episode of this podcast to your inbox in that newsletter. See you next time. Bye for now. Thank you.